When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Can you feel that? Can you feel that burning itch? We're back, baby. Morning Combat Friday ain't got shit to do, but set the weekend for big time fights across combat sports. I'm Brian Campbell. It is Friday, September 24th, 2021. CBS Sports and Showtime, the labels that pay me, but you're not here for me, right? You're here for the damn meat, the guy that holds this, this sauce on top of it, the best fight analyst breakdown man in the game today luke thomas hey hey yeah technical difficulties why don't you zoom in on me here's the deal folks not going to bore you with a lot of things to sell because i have a uh, i as jake hager would say i am rock hard with emotion about all things Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk, UFC 266. So we're going to get to that in a moment. But in the meantime, you may be checking out this fantastic wear right that? now that I got going on right here, a little Factory Town MMA uh, preview that's coming to our merch store, morningcombat.store, over the next week. And uh, we've got so much new great merchandise there that we wanted to give you another little bit of discount to add a little, you know, flavor to your saver. How about this code? FACTORYTOWN10 will give you 10% off all products on MorningCombat.store during today's show. I believe 2 p.m. Eastern is our savings deadline. So we got the new Factory Town MMA launch. We got some great ideas of new merch coming your way. The I Love MK mug, all that. Jump on it now. Get that shit going. 30 days of Showtime. Uh, Bellator heating up in big ways. Showtime Championship Boxing. Why don't you get on? We got Canelo. Yo, we got Canelo, okay? Why don't you get on board by going to Showtime.com. 30 days, or you can put your hand in the sand and spin it around a little bit. Uh, Luke, are you back with us audio-wise? Yes, sorry about that. I was just going to say that this weekend is a monster weekend in combat sports. We have a lot of previewing to do, but I'm excited for the challenge because the fights are so freaking good. They're so, so good. good. They one. are so good. So uh, thank you, folks, for enjoying. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed our three day, uh, three days in Jersey City this week, getting a lot of preview content done. If you missed it and you know you get live shows from MK every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at this time, uh, head on over to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. 
We've got interviews with the big fighters this weekend, including Valentina Shevchenko, Brian Ortega. We have also got a resume review on one Nick Diaz that is one of the more fun and enjoyable careers to have gone up and down with. Check that out. And also, Luke, a lot of buzz for the little bit of rooftop diaries that we call for now pregame hmm. preview as the great Chuck Mindenhall joined you and I in Jersey City for a little bit of real talk on UFC 266 for this weekend. Folks, check that out. It is fun. It's informative. And, Luke, I'll apologize right now for the amount of times that I interrupted you guys by saying bitch or yo. <laughs> I mean, you get me sauced up, bad things happen. So I've learned a lot from watching that video, okay? I want to I wanna snip that out and then just use that as a clip forever to hang over your head. Sorry for the amount of times I said bitch or yo to interrupt <laughs> yeah, yeah. you. So, so there's that. Uh, final piece of business, Luke, connected to this weekend's fight, of course. Uh, how about DraftKings Sportsbook? It is the official betting partner of the UFC, of the NFL, of all that good stuff. And there is an incredible deal that DK has joined up with MK for this weekend. You know 266 is a loaded card from Las Vegas. So how about putting a little bit of action on top of your action this weekend? If you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, if you commit to $1 on any fight, DraftKings is going to give you 150 free betting dollars to try your hand and test if this resume review curse is real. Of course, uh, you're going to need our our promo code. This is the most important part. Enter in our code. It's combat with a K to get your $150 in free bets. Uh, so many good fights this weekend. Throw a little action on there. Week three of the NFL, whatever you like to do. It's DraftKings. It's morning combat. A, a match made in heaven, Luke. I don't know how it gets better than this. We're, we're previewing fights. We're getting you ready for them. And we're with our partners, our generous partners over at DraftKings, giving you free money to play with to then go make more money on top of. I don't know what more you want from a show with just two washed dads. But this is about as much as you're going to get, folks. Yeah. So appreciate it, okay? You want to be entrepreneurial? You want to have a little side income? Why don't, you, why don't you get hooked up with DraftKings using our promo code COMBAT? Of course, restrictions apply, and if uh, online betting is not available in your state, DraftKings has you covered on daily fantasy contests, including a chance to win $1 million. So do all that shit, okay? Support us with that code COMBAT with a K. Luke, I don't want to do anything else but get into all things UFC 266 this weekend. You coming with me? Let's do it, brother. All right, let's hit it hard. Las Vegas is the site for this weekend's pay-per-view. You got Nick Diaz. You got two title fights. You got everything you need. And you know what else you got to top that card? Pound for pound wise, skill wise, one of the best fights you can make in UFC and MMA today. The featherweight title will be at stake this Saturday as Alexander Volkanovsky looks for his what? Second title defense following a pair of wins over Max Holloway. And he's got a hungry ready Brian Ortega coming his way. Luke, I love this fight. I don't care if it's going to end up as a five-round chess match. I don't care if Ortega is going to be able to implement some of the things he does and we have a wild fight. I just want to see what this looks like. One of my favorite divisions, two of my favorite fighters style-wise. As we cut through the bullshit, although on Thursday's press conference, I got to say that little bit of trash talk back and forth. Was mm. it a little bit lame? Yes. But did it get me fired up? Hell Yes. As far as it comes down to the matchups, the X's and O's, what are you looking for in this one on Saturday night? Now, when you say trash talk, do you mean 
when Volkanovsky uh, said he was surprised to learn that his opponent was a, in his words, a drug cheat. Is that the one you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was interesting. I actually felt, felt like Ortega was taken a bit by surprise for whatever that is worth by some of that. Okay. You're asking about X's and O's. Man, this is a... This is a Jeez, this is a really difficult one in certain ways. In other ways, maybe not. Like, it, I guess I would best explain it like this. And I've talked a little bit about this on my live chat, but not in grand detail. If you examine what Volkanovsky is just good at and what he is able to implement, obviously he's going to involve a particular strategy that is related to the very specific things that Brian Ortega does. But from a very macro perspective... What he's probably going to do is, whether he's backing up or I think eventually he will lead, but sometimes he starts backing up uh, on his heels, he's going to present a look. And when he presents that look, he is going to make opponents, in this particular case, Brian Ortega, he's going to try to make them think that whatever they think they see, they don't. If they think that they see an opening with X, he takes it away. He makes them try to think he's going a direction, and then he doesn't. He tries to make them look high, he goes low. He tries to make them walk into him, and then so he can intercept them. It's all about misdirection. It's all about camouflage. A lot of it starts with hand fighting to take away the jab. The jab was a big part of Max Holloway's game. You saw a lot of hand fighting for him to take that away. I think you're going to see a lot of that because in the same... While Ortega doesn't have the same kind of jab that Holloway does, he does leave it hanging out there out front. And I think he's going to want to move that away from Ortega as a range-finding tool or whatever he uses to set it up for feint. So I think that's a big part of it. And I think the real key thing folks should really pay attention to, BC, Volkanovsky doesn't, I think, blow people away. Certainly the last three fights, the one with Aldo and then the two or um, Holloway fights, it's not like people came out of that being like, wow, Volkanovski is must-see. He's one of the best fighters on earth. But really, the stats say a lot about him. Listen to this. First of all, this guy became champion within three years of joining the UFC, which is fairly rare and impressive. How about this? Numerically, now that doesn't tell the whole story, of course, but numerically, he's never been outstruck in any of his fights ever in the UFC. No one has ever put more gloves on him than vice versa. It doesn't happen. More to the point, if you look at the... Strength, excuse me, look at the striking differential. So how much Max lands versus how much he absorbs. Not only does Volkanovski put pace and pressure on these guys, especially as the fight heats up, but more to that point, he actually reduces their output. Now, why is that important? Well, a guy like Ortega has been, he's been outstruck many times and still won. It's not like that's never happened to him before. Um, But in the cases where there's a wide disparity, there's no really coming back from that. And BC... I think with Vortega taking his time a little bit, which you saw in the Chansung Jung fight, that's going to feed right into Volkanovski's strengths. I said it on the rooftop with Chuck. I'm going to go back to it now. Dude, a straight-up sort of striking match under mostly conventional terms, not the stance, but the sort of way in which they interact, that's not a fight that Ortega can win. It just can't happen. But if he can begin to take risks and then go that extra mile and really try to find creative ways around what Volkanovsky does, that to me is a possibility. And it's it's going to be up to him to do because otherwise I think Volkanovsky is going to cruise to a decision. So here's what's most interesting to me about trying to handicap this fight. If you take any singular performance we've seen from Ortega in his biggest fights and use that as a map to try to see how he does that to, to Volkanovsky, to your point, 
Uh, people say I don't give Volkanovsky the credit, and I'm willing to take that criticism in general. He's a he's a wizard. He's a mathematician. He is just genius at taking what he's expecting coming your way and decoding it and using it against you and all those great, smart, amazing things. The difference, though, for me having this much confidence in Ortega, aside from his incredible BDE, Luke, is really that I don't think we've seen the best of him. I think we have seen an unfinished growing, evolving product that just so happens to have had part of his prime a little railroaded by a two-year absence due to injuries and, and, and fights getting canceled. And even the build to this one had another unexpected delay where they became tough coaches and had to wait it out. And I'm wondering, and that's fueling my interest in this being a very close, almost pick em fight, if it's that unknown in Ortega and you give him time to add on to his game, and yes, when you look at him, Luke, when you look at his attitude and his swagger, it doesn't scream ring technician and, and, and guy who can adapt to a higher level. But go back and watch his last four fights and see how different he was in each one, Luke. Obviously, you and I will agree that the, there were polar opposite performances against Max Holloway where he was a, a walking, stalking brawler and nothing else. And Korean Zombie, where he was this next-level, distance-controlling, technical wizard, okay? Volk this ain't Korean Zombie, so we can't do that exactly to, to Volkanovsky. But if he can mesh the spirit of both of those two styles together and continue to evolve at the pace he has... And what I mean by that is, Luke, you remember he was a fun, unbeaten fighter who would get outstruck and then submit you late dramatically... And then he came out against Frankie Edgar and viciously finished him. So here's a guy who's constantly evolving and adding new wrinkles and showing you who he is. I don't know why there's why from you there's not the same confidence because it's clearly it seems there's the same confidence in the odds makers. Because if you look at this right now, Luke, DraftKings has plus 160 or Ortega as your underdog minus 190. Volkanovski as the favorite, and in this game, that's a that's close to a pick'em. I mean, that's really mm -hmm. damn close. That tells me the odds makers see what I see: the fact that if anybody is going to do better than their best performances to date in this matchup, it is Ortega and not Volkanovski. Volkanovski's great, but I believe Luke. Every fight, these elite guys are getting closer to figuring him out, which is why I thought Max won the rematch, although it was close, and Alex came back in that one, and I'm sure if I watched it another 48 times, I may change my score. But Luke, are you discounting how great Ortega might be if you gave him, which we did, another year to go back in that lab and add to his game? No, I think he's a formidable opponent. Um, I don't really disagree with, I think, the at least a better bare minimum, the spirit of that analysis. I mean, I've, I've definitely sort of leaned pre-fight towards a guy's direction in part based not fully on what we've seen, but on what we can expect might be new for whatever the circumstance may be. They're young and they're getting better. And in this case, Ortega, you're right. After two years, he just looked completely reborn. Remember, he changed his entire training team except for Henner Gracie before that Chansung Jung fight. And to me, it really paid off. He looked like a brand new man in, in many respects and, and still keeping some of the same kinds of things that made him dangerous from before. So no, I don't think that's a bad way to look at it. I just feel like if you're looking at the reformation, so from, let's say, Edgar to Holloway, time off, then to Chansung Jung, what is the lesson that you take? It's that Brian Ortega is a lot more thoughtful. He's a lot more patient. He is still quite dangerous and he can make much better reads and he can do his own level of confusion. Like, that's real. But... If that's the way he's going, 
that by itself, even more so, is not necessarily the best style to beat Volkanovsky with the caveat. With the caveat that if he can make great reads and he can do great interceptions where Volkanovsky is charging in with something and he can read it a mile away, which very well might be possible, or he's willing to take a risk and try something that you know would end up in a bad position normally, but he'll do it because he doesn't care about that. I think that's real. I mean, understand something, dude. Volkanovsky has never had someone in the UFC attempt a submission on him. Like, they've never even done that. But I think uh, Mendez had his back briefly. There's a, uh, for example, I'm not saying this is the only way to get there, but one way to get there for, for Ortega, as we, you talked about with Chuck on the rooftop, he could pull guard, he could go for sweeps, he could find the back in some kind of transition, and then what, dude? Having that guy on your back? Jesus, that's a whole different ball game than anything else. So I think the spirit of your analysis is correct. Dude, you know as well as I do, if they fought 10 times, one guy is not going to win all 10. We're living in a world where we have to kind of accept that. I think if they fought 10 times, Volkanovski probably wins six, maybe seven of those. But what happens on Saturday? We shall see. Well, Luke, we had Brian or- Ortega on this show. I'm not going to throw to any any clips of it, but we had him a couple weeks back talking about this fight. And one thing that he that he really said, and look, he called... Volkanovsky a point fighter and, and he and he you know just a little little trash talk on trying to discount his opponent's potential greatness but he did say I, I need a finish because that's what I'm about but I wonder Luke if that's also true from even if you were going to give Ortega the same benefit of the doubt I am that he's going to come out and look a little bit different and more adaptable than we've ever seen. And, and, and really the best. I mean, what else? There's no reason not to come out and be the very best of yourself in this fight. We know you can't out-point fight the point fighter. You can't out-chess the chess master. Does Ortega need a finish in your eyes to win this fight? Yes. Yes. I don't know how he takes three. Again, it's he could be the he, watch. He could go out there and he could just decode everything that Volkanovski's doing, and he could land hell of a shot, hell of a shot, and it could look something like the Chan Sung Jung fight. I just find the chances of that very low, dude. This is not Korean Zombie is a spectacular fighter. He's not the he's not excuse me Alexander Volkanovski, and I know Volkanovski doesn't you know produce the same amount of fan fervor that others might. That's fine, but the 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 results speak for themselves. In a five-round contest, if, if we are positing, if we are positing that it goes to the judges' scorecards, well, then I think you get to a case of Volkanovski being nine or out of ten to win those. I think it would be very difficult for Ortega. Ortega's got to get out there, and he has to really hurt this guy. He's got to take a risk. He's got to figure out a way through that decoding. And if he can do that, the, the, absolutely, it's his to win. But that is a tough challenge. I think in his favor, Luke, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, Volkanovski, because he's a he's a, he sets traps, because he chips away at you, because he basically keeps you away from doing your best work. It's not as physically taxing to fight him and go deep into rounds as it is other fighters, which does leave the door open for uh, Ortega from the standpoint of he may need a few rounds where he has to lose them to read Volkanovski to try to find that opening. I think Luke, we know he can do it on the ground if he can get it there. But I think people are wrong when they look at the Holloway or Ortega fight and what we learned from it. Okay, did Ortega decide that fight that I'm going to come out and show you guys how freaking strong I am and I'm willing to die in there and I'm just going to try to outman him? He did. And he lost because of that. But Luke, he also lost because his face fell apart and Max stood in there and took it. But I felt there were 
there were moments, there were combinations where Ortega was putting it on Max, and I'm like, and Max, we've always known him to have a next-level chin and resolve and be able to fight her and be able to just be a warrior. Not everybody can fight like that. I, I, I think you're going to be a little bit surprised at what happens in pockets here if Ortega can close the gap on Volkanovski and can make it a bit of a fight. I think he's a much better striker in terms of damage than we give him credit, Luke. Revisit the Max fight. But I think people narratively go, oh, he got overwhelmed, dominated, and stopped. No, he had some big moments in that fight too and was it was, go, was going toe-for-toe, toe, you know, a, a, against a true warrior. I think you adapt part of that style and you bring it in. Luke, the odds makers are telling you he's got a big chance here. Uh, yeah, I, I do think, yes, you should not lose sight of the fact that Ortega is probably a better striker than that fight might convince skeptics. I think you could even argue he won that third round. It was one of the rounds where he kind of did a lot of damage to Holloway. The other problem, though, with that argument is Holloway will kind of accept that. Holloway is famous um, for the amount of damage he's willing to absorb by virtue of his fight style. Volkanovski is not. Um, now, he got dropped by Mendez briefly, and he got up, and you, know, the, you could go that direction. But again, this is what, this is what long parts of the fight are probably going to look like, who, no matter who wins. You're going to get a lot of stretches where Volkanovski's doing this, this, and then he's leg kicking and he's circling, and Ortega is just kind of waiting, waiting, and can't get off. Remember, it's not just about that his volume goes up. It's about that he suppresses what is the opponent is doing. The reason why, against Aldo, by the way, he just clinched him and held on for long periods of the fight. I don't think he'll do that against Ortega, given the, the grappling risk. But the other part is that he just finds ways to confuse people for just long enough, uh, a two, three-second bit, and then that plays itself over and over and over again. And over time, that adds up. You are going to see that, I think, no matter what. The question is then what Ortega does to address that. I am very curious to see. Luke, when we're, look, when we're, when we're looking at a, a football game, we're talking offense and defense, and people go, Michael, how does special teams come into play? Is there a special teams element to this fight, whether it's the clinch or on the ground, an area that you don't expect the fight to go, but if it goes there, could that play a part in this fight? Does somebody have a specific advantage? I mean, do you, you don't see Volkanovski trying to take this fight to the ground or, or lock him up against the cage under any circumstances, correct? No, and I think he's going to physically find a way to avoid that at all costs, which is why guard pulling to me is super interesting. Again, you can stand up out of guard. You can. There's lots of ways to break guard, and, and um, who knows what he might try. I don't think that's like the either the likeliest thing or even if he gets it, the best way to maybe beat Volkanovski. But, but that threat there, I do think that's real. I, as I mentioned, in the Aldo fight, he would kind of do that whole thing at range for a while. Then he would look at the clock. If there was like 30 or 45 seconds left in the round, he would just press Aldo into the fence like, fuck this, I'm not even going to risk it anymore. Dude, you could not do that with Brian Ortega. He will jump from an overhook right into something. And remember, he doesn't just jump guard. He might jump triangle. He might jump armbar. He might do all kinds of flying attacks. So you just can't play with him in that space. And so for those reasons, I tend to think Volkanovski is going to have to be careful. But if he gets rocked with a shot and is not really all there to defend properly, dude, it's, I'm telling you, what, 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 or, what Volkanovski wants to do is establish his order. It is up to Ortega to disrupt that order. And if he can, it is his fight to win. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. I think the size difference, which is more in our head, because when they stood across from each other, yeah, Volkanovski's a bit shorter, but not by a ton. 
Volkanovski actually has the longer reach, Luke, which is another yeah. underrated part of why he's able to control the terms of a fight so much. So I can't wait to see it. I think people can tell which way we are leaning here, Luke. But, uh, you know, even though Chuck Mindenhall attempted to curse this fight by saying, well, I think it could be pretty boring. You know what, Chuck? Why don't you leave our roof with that kind of shit? No, seriously, seriously. <laughs> I love Chuck. Um, Luke, even if it is a boring chess match, uh, I'm gonna be front. I'm gonna be front row center in my in my in my office here with the TV, uh, checking it out. I can't wait to see what happens in this it's one, Luke. That's your main event on Saturday. We broke down the co-main event at length on Wednesday, but then there's the people's main event, and that's all things Nick Diaz. Robbie Lawler, no longer a welterweight fight, as we talked about on Wednesday, officially now a middleweight bout. But Luke, the narrative of what we would talk about in ways how we could possibly handicap this fight have changed dramatically since you and I last spoke of this. Yes, it's a rematch 17 years removed from Nick Diaz's somewhat surprising second round knockout. It's also the first time in six years Nick will enter the octagon but Luke, Nick gave a lengthy interview with Brett Okamoto of ESPN. And also, although I think he repaired some of it with Nick's performance at the press conference yesterday. Bro, it's Nick Diaz. It's going to be a weird conversation that makes you type really question what's going on in his head. Luke, from Wednesday's chat with Brett to Thursday's press conference, how nervous are you that we might not just be seeing potentially a washed physical fighter but a fighter who may not want to be there or like what do you even take away from this wild fight week for Nick Diaz I'm gonna try and do something I don't know I, frankly I'll be candid with you I don't know what the most prudent way to view all of this is I I tend to think a lot of the things he voices might be the things that fighters don't want to say he's just willing to say it they might be things that fighters believe and even deny to themselves and he won't deny that to himself he will be honest about it and so, therefore, hearing it can be a little bit jarring because it's just not the kind of rhetoric that is typically shared at, on Fight Week at all by someone in his kind of position. Okay, I'm going to just wait, dude. And no one wants to wait. We want to have answers now. We want to know what it means. We want the clarification. We want to be able to sort it all neatly. You cannot sort Nick Diaz neatly. He doesn't fit very easy into obvious compartments. He doesn't fit easy into basic categories he is kind of all over the place I think if you're watching out there and you heard things that make you feel like he may not be able to give his best effort or his best days are behind him I don't think that's unfair I think beyond that if you're just looking at the six and a half years off and you're worried that this might mean he can't really perform up to the level I think that's fair there are, by the way, plenty of concerns for a four-fight losing skid, Robbie Lawler, that we're getting here. You know, let's not forget about the fact that his time in the sport is very much coming to a close, and well, probably Luke, pretty just soon to, at that. Just to interrupt you on that, Nick did say if Robbie beats him, he expects Robbie to get the title shot next against Kamaru. So I just want to put you back in your place on on questioning yeah. Robbie's uh, standing right now. Yeah, exactly. Who knows, right? I mean, that's kind of funny. Okay, but this is what I mean. Like, I'm just gonna wait. And say, I think the best course of action is to not play armchair psychologist. Is to not dig too deep into the details. I don't want to ignore them either. But what I want to do is say, 
We just don't have enough information to make a big call here one way or the other. Maybe some people inside of his camp might. Who knows? But you and I, the people watching, for the most part, we don't. We don't really hear exactly what, what might be going on. So I think let's look at the performance on Saturday. Let's see how he performs. Let's see, let's see what he can physically do. And then I want to cross-reference that with what he said pre-fight. Is there any relationship to some of the fears that he shared? Is there anything about the anxieties? Could you tell from a motivational standpoint based on the way he performed that there's any relationship? Because, dude, part of what has always defined him is that there has been a gap. He will talk like someone who is nervous. He will talk like someone who is dismissive of this whole thing. He will talk like somebody who doesn't want to do this. It's not the first time he's done this at all. And then he goes out there and he fucking shines. Or conversely, like we saw against Diego, he was complete confidence and he got run over there a little bit. So there is often a wide gap, either pre or post fight, from the kinds of things Nick Diaz says relative to his performance. You add yeah. in, BC, a, a freaking seven-year hiatus. I say wait. That's I mean, me. I say wait. To be fair, the resume review you and I did, I was writing down some of those quotes that he gave in these pre-fight packages ahead of these 2004, 2006, 2007 fights. And in so many of those, he, he was like, you know what? I didn't have a good training camp. I didn't think this is the right matchup for me, but we're going to go out there anyway. Well, you're like, wow, that was weird for him to say that. But no, everything he says is weird. So, Luke, normally we blast uh, the real, media. Real quick, just, just to piggyback. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, BC. I apologize. But the one thing, dude, in his UFC debut against Jeremy Jackson, he gets interviewed and says, oh, you know what? I took him lightly. I was really tired. I had to, I had to just figure out a way to win here. I don't know how that happened. In his UFC debut. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I had, a, I had a much worse training camp than the last time. So, you know, I mean, look, the guy's all over the place, first of all. Normally, we rip the media at these UFC press conferences because they can be more spectacle and show than, than journalism. But I got to give the people credit there for the way in which they worded the questions to Nick on Thursday in reference to that Okamoto interview. And I also think Nick did a good job, Luke, of at least softening the initial blow of what the Brett interview told you. If you had only watched the Brett interview, and I had so many people in the combat sports game text me and be like, BC, like, did you see that? Like, maybe they should remove him. Of course, he sounded like, you know, bitter at the sport, that somebody forced him into this fight, that uh, I texted you, Luke. I thought when he was talking about his brother that he was outright jealous that Nate became the, the, the financially relevant star that Nick never got a chance to be because he kind of bowed out of the game just as the purse strings were breaking open, you know, for the big fighters. And Nick, I think, did a good job at the press conferences just being like, look, I, I say things before fights. You know, uh, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And you're right, Luke. He's openly anxious be before all of his fights. He's always been a really horrible or weird interview because he's uncomfortable in that spot. And I do think he voices opinions involving some of those things that others wouldn't be as willing to share. The fears, all of that. Um, did it feel extra damning because he's 38 or whatever and has been gone for so long? Of course it did. Luke, I think the best case scenario here is he's not in there against, I mean, I mean, Robbie Lawler is a killer any day of the week, but he's not in there against an absolute prime contender looking to make their name off of him. To your point, four straight defeats for Lawler. I don't think he can pull the trigger the same way anyway. So this will be probably what we thought it would be to begin with. An old guy, nostalgic little bit of a slop show. My biggest fear for Nick, though, Luke, is not that he takes a beating or gets one punched. I don't really think either are going to happen. 
Although I don't think we're talking enough about the potential that this is like a fun, sneaky, nostalgic war. My biggest fear is that this looks a lot like Hoist Gracie's return to the UFC after, what, a decade out when he fought Matt Hughes? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of buzz around it and excitement. Hoist is back against a new generation of guys, you know? How could he do? And Luke, I mean, he was awful. He was never in that fight. Matt just laid on him, and eventually he sort of just succumbed without really anything happen. I think that would be Wait, the whoa, worst whoa, way. Whoa, that's not, whoa, that's not accurate at all. That's I not mean, what Matt, happened. Matt, Matt took his him. back and pounded him the fuck out. Okay, yeah, but what I'm saying is, Luke, it looked a lot more like CM Punk versus Mickey Gall, where it's like we didn't really learn anything. The more dominant fighter no, took I control. Don't, dude, that's, and, like, dude, this is not an accurate recitation of what happened. This, I, they, I think first it's of all, an once... resuscitation, in fact, <laughs> of the facts. But... No, I'm just, say, I'm just saying this, BC. They fought at 175, remember, because Matt came in like fucking yoked. And the whole point of that fight was a UFC 60, 59, something like that. The whole, the whole point of it was at the time they wanted to prove that the newer generation of fighters were a lot of better course. than the old ones. Dude, that was like a prime Matt Hughes. And he went in there and demolished and He did. Hoist My point Gracie. is, Luke, we didn't even see a breath of life from Hoist. So, yeah, he got dominated and yes. eventually the fight got stopped. But, you know, worse than a one-punch KO, I think, is if Lawler gets dropped the fight goes to the ground i'm mean, sorry lawler drops him the fight goes to the ground he gets on top and then nick just sort of gives up and the ref waves it off and then you got nick arguing about a sh quick stoppage and then we're sort of like wow that was a shit show i don't want to see something like this i want to see nick weird enough to say it find make good on some closure of the obvious disdain he has for the fight game to, to some of the things you mentioned in your live chat yesterday, Luke, how Nick tried businesses outside of the cage that didn't really play out. He told Brett that he thought people screwed him financially. I want to see him come back and win or lose, give his best effort, look like he's having fun doing it, and, you know, win or lose if he feels like he wants to do this again and, and can be a marketable guy against the right level of competition, then let's do that. I don't want to see something gross where it's like, man, he never should have been here, Luke. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's a. I think if you're a Diaz fan, again, no, who the hell knows what's going to happen tomorrow? The one thing I would think you'd be happy about with this matchup is one, he's got a win over this guy. Let's say you're a Diaz fan. Robbie Lawler is well liked, but Diaz has his, his own little army. And if you look at the last two fights, he fought Magny and he fought Covington, right? I think those are his last two fights. You know, the, the, they kind of wrestled a little bit, and there's a whole uh, uh, a second aspect to it. But what's one of the what's what's a common theme from them to who we understand Diaz to be, whether or not that's accurate, which is volume, activity, pace. Um, that might be something, even with just the striking, that a guy like Diaz could find a way um, to implement to win. Here's something we're not talking about, BC. There is a very clear, well, I'll say very clear. I think it's a legitimately plausible scenario where Diaz looks great for as long as it lasts, but takes a big shot. His face, for folks who don't realize this or appreciate the, the depth of the problem, it is covered in scar tissue. Scar tissue cuts very easily. Dude, no one is talking about the fact that he could take one big shot from Lawler, the shit comes wide open. Granted, Vegas is a little bit more lenient with that than, say, his uh, brother in, in New York City when he fought Masvidal. Still... Uh, a, a cut stoppage is very much in play here, even if he does well. There's a lot of ways. This could just go in a thousand different directions, man. Yeah, so, soft-spoken with a broken jaw, Luke, right? I mean, so much damn scarf tissue there. Um, it's funny. There was a lot of what Nick said this week that year, like, is that a crazy man talking? Is that whatever? I love that. <laughs> 
the 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 undefeated spirit of the Diaz army that when talking about Usman, he's like, no, nah, man, I'm I'm the I'm the more well-rounded fighter than this guy. I mean, I would definitely. <laughs> they, in fact, that's a better matchup for me than Lal. I mean, I love that the Diaz's are forever, Luke. Just like we're the best fighters of all time. Everyone else is a bitch. Put me in there with them, and I'll show you. I mean, that spirit. I'm like war to that still being around because that's special. That's a, a special kind of delusion right there. But uh, Luke, I thought the odds would change dramatically after what we saw, especially with that bread interview. It didn't right now. We stand at DraftKings plus plus one thirty five Diaz as your underdog minus wow. one fifty five Lawler as your favorite. It was basically wow. a pick them. Uh, I think just three days ago. So um, yeah, that, they've got, they've got Nick as the underdog. I guess I got to tell you, I, I, I don't know why, but that is a little surprising. I, I, that's kind of funny. I think more importantly than that, Luke, our fans, for at least, are, are wanting to see if the uh, if the resume review can extend to eight and zero. You know, we we just put it out there in the world. It's up Dude, to the, you know. Just to stick it to these jabronis, I hope it goes zero and then a hundred, motherfucker. I hope we don't get a single one of these correct, just so everyone can stop or actually can keep rather shitting their pants every time. I Luke, love I seeing the streak, all of the wet diapers. I hope that I, I'm wondering, you know what I'm more importantly wondering at what, how high does this streak have to go before you look in the microphone and go, folks, you were right. I was wrong. The streak is yes. 100%. Well, there's no such thing as curses. And as I've said before, you could watch the Boston Red Sox from 1918 up until what, 2004, not make a, a World Series, or rather not win a World Series, and everyone was certain there was a curse. Dude, you're talking to a Washington, D.C. sports fan. I have lived through decades of abject misery, and then they come to a close, and you realize there is no curse. It is just the poverty of your own imagination. Bingo. But but while I actually think Nick will probably win, who knows, I don't know what happened, if he loses, I am going to take some delight in the sadness that it causes the people who think that life operates by podcast jinxes i hope it really makes their Wait, butt itch for a week didn't you tell me after you stood next to oscar willis at that urinal in cleveland that you do believe in some curses no i don't believe in any of them oh all right great no sell there by the way uh oscar willis <laughs> plays a key role in documentary number five, Luke, which has been uh, Morning Combat documentary number five. It's been pushed off until next week, but we're very close. I've seen. Luke, did you see the rough draft yet? I saw it. I did. You know what? In defense of BC, because BC makes a lot of promises about when stuff's coming and it never happens. But in defense of Brian Campbell, I personally have also seen the uh, rough draft of Cut Five, and it is. I'll say this. It's a lot better. It's not St. Anger. It's a lot better than three. Three was St. Anger. No, this is well, more like S&M. <laughs> Three was like, <clears throat> yeah, it's like, you know, we, we, we've done rock and roll. And now we want to try country or reggae. This is the yeah. opposite. Look, this is deep introspective. This is like the Elliott Smith documentary of our five, right? I mean, this is like. This is yeah, some, this is this one we tried a little harder on. Yeah, it's very melancholy. There's there's a few few bits of infinite sadness in there. All right, Luke, do you have a prediction either way for real here? Do you have a prediction on this fight? I think it'd be very foolish to make one. If you want one for fun, I'll go Diaz. I tend to think gun to the head, maybe Diaz gets it done. But, dude, I'm banking on the fact that this guy's been in parties on Snapchat for the last seven years, and that will just yeah. go away. So that's probably the dumbest fucking prediction. I got Robbie. I don't dude. know, but I'll go Diaz for fun. Robbie hasn't pulled the trigger a lot lately, but I think he will in this fight. I, I like him. But, Luke, this card has plenty of good storylines and matchups underneath these top three fights. So let's get into that. As you look up and down this UFC 266 fight card, Luke, you love styles, how they clash, how they match. 
What do you think is the best actual matchup beyond these top three fights on this card? Well, one thing we should point out that I didn't even realize, so shame on me, shame on all of us. This will be, I believe, I believe this is right. This will be the 49th pro fight for Roxanne Modafferi, which would give her the record for most pro fights for, I believe, either an active or even in, in general. Oh, wow. Uh, a, a female MMA fighter. That seems like a big deal, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's not Jeremy Horn or Dan Severn level of prolif or Anthony Smith level of prolifery, but it's, it's up there, Luke. Um, obviously, everyone's going to be paying attention to the Dan Hooker a hack parast fight because both guys have been traveling across earth quite literally on the short notice to make this fight. By the way, if they miss weight, who gives a shit? I mean, really the, the effort that these two have put in is just beyond commendable. Okay. Do you think, wait, me who, quick, quickly, do you think, forget John Nash. Do you think these guys will get a, a an, an off the books bonus for being this company positive? I mean, this is ballsy what they're doing. I, I really hope. I, I mean, I really, really hope that they take care of them because they're doing something. Dude, can you imagine an A-list boxer ever doing this? They would no. never do this. And I'm not no. saying that because they don't have the same internal constitution. They're just so powerful and in so much command of their own affairs, they never have to, right? No, no. So you asked the question. I mean, Triller, a... Triller might make Teofimo do this soon, Luke. You never know where that <laughs> soap opera is going. But beyond that, no. The, by the way, on our show, he's like, no fucking way I'm going to move it to the 16th. He signed off on moving it to the 16th. Yeah, but, they, must by the way, gave him, they must have gave him a giant bag, but they can't. Yeah. They didn't get the other guy to sign off. Look, what a fudge. I know, now Cambosis won't sign off on it. It's fucking hilarious. Okay, but the fight we, we mentioned on the roof was Marlon Moraes taking on Marab Devalishvili, which is just incredible. BC, I'm going to go for a bit of a deep cut, though, as there's many good ways you could go here. Pay attention to Urosh Medic uh, taking on Jalen Turner. This is very much on the prelims. Medich is a guy who looked phenomenal on the Contender Series and made his UFC debut, and I think that's all he's had to this point. I believe that's right. Let me see here. No, he's had two fights, excuse me, uh, winning both of them inside the first round against Alon Cruz and Mikey Gonzalez. Jalen Turner is a step up in a big way, so I want to see how he looks. Dude, his strikes landed per minute. Ready for this, BC? 19.91. I've Ooh. never, ever, ever seen that from anyone. Granted, it's just two fights. It's a small sample size. All I'm pointing out is blue chip prospect times a thousand. Pay attention to him. The damn tarantula. That was Chuck. When you were in the bathroom, Luke, during our rooftop clip, that was the one that on the undercard that Chuck had his eye on. If you're looking at DraftKings, oh, on, nice. Minus 120 is Euros is your favorite. The Tarantula plus 100. So great fight on paper right there. Can't wait to see it. Luke, I did want to get your opinion on this heavyweight clash that nobody's talking about in the shadow of all these other celebrities. Curtis Blades fresh, fresh off that somewhat surprising KO loss that derailed yet another hopeful run at a heavyweight title shot. is going to be in there against Jairzinho Rosenstruck looking to package two wins in a row. As we look at the odds right now, Luke, uh, they're pretty strong in Blades' favor. Minus 335, the favorite, plus 260 for Jairzinho. Is this as simple as uh, rinse, wash, repeat, takedown, spin cycle, Curtis Blades by decision? Hard to see how he stands with him, right? I mean, maybe I'm missing something, dude, but I don't think so. Like, Curtis Blades can stand for a little while. If you look at his strikes absorbed per minute, 1.7, that's very low. Like, they don't put a lot of hands on him. Obviously, the one that knocked him out, you only need the one, right, if they're that good. Okay. But in general, he doesn't take a lot of damage. You know, it's the it's just of those really big, heavy strikers, Francis twice, and now Derek Lewis. They give him some problems, obviously. Um, he has a hard time, I think, 
going, not avoiding the big punch, but avoiding the big punch for as long as the distance calls for it. And by the distance, I mean the time on the clock. Um, you know, but I think Rosenstrike's not quite, he's the better kickboxer than them, but I don't know if he's exactly the power puncher they are. He's accurate, he's quick, he's good, but he's got a real problem, I think, with takedown defense. This should be Curtis Blades' fight to win unless I'm missing something. Am I? Yeah, it should be. Biggie Void stopped your guy Augusto Sakai in his last outing following the, uh, the loss to what, Nganu there when he stepped up, so... Uh, don't count out Blades making a run at the title, Luke. I think he has the goods. No one really has this same package of wrestling, and I think his striking's better than you even articulated there. I mean, did you not remember him against JDS? And, you know, I would have liked him to have showcased his striking more against Volkov to prove he's on that level, but he tired himself out going for the takedown. I think Blades is still a little mistake-prone at the elite level and still hasn't fully put it together, but Luke, he's very, very good. This is a big showcase chance against a dangerous guy to remind us of that. In opening this pay-per-view card, an interesting fight at Flyweight where Jessica Andrade coming off of her second-round stoppage against Valentina Shevchenko in the Flyweight title bout, facing a confident, some maybe, maybe repackaged here, Cynthia Calvillo, Luke. Uh, well, not really repackaged if she just lost to Shukajian in that last fight. But did you see the comments from um, so Cynthia that she thinks she gets a title shot off, off of a potential win here, Luke? Uh, no one, again, really talking about this matchup when you consider Andrade coming in as the minus 235 favorite, plus 190 is Calvillo, an aggressive volume striker. I'd like to see Andrade go back to, to being the bully, though, here, Luke. Yeah, and their mutual opponent in Chukagian, one's got a win, one's got a loss. That's a funny comment from Cynthia. Um, she's very good. Um, but, and maybe they're desperate for, you know, fresh contenders or fresh, uh, I should say title contenders rather. So maybe she's right in that sense. There is a possibility, you know, you know, with women's flyweight, man, it's not, it's like, it's like Bellator over there. Like it doesn't take necessarily like a five fight win streak to get a title shot. Um, at the same time though, well, you know what? I'll say this, dude, if she beats Andrade, can't you argue that that's her by far best win to date? Like, wouldn't that say yes. enough? And she did have the, the draw with Marina yeah. Rodriguez. Rodriguez, excuse me. You know she beat the Jessica Eyes that level. Yeah, she would. She would really need a. I mean, you got a big win here until Tatiana Suarez is ready. I don't know. Maybe Calvillo does sneak in there. The division is uh, it's unpredictable there, Luke. A lot of people, a lot of parity below Valentina. So it's you know anybody sure. can get hot. Which is look, sorry, that's why Lauren Murphy's here right now because she got hot at the right time, five in a row. And by the way, Luke, if you're looking for the updated odds on your co-main. Plus eight fifty, Lauren Murphy. Minus fifteen hundred, Valentina. Luke, God, you mentioned so. I, I I hate it. Like I can't even say that it's wrong, but it feels it feels so disrespectful to her journey. You know. How could something so wrong feel so right is really what you were feeling right there. <laughs> Luke, Luke, you mentioned quickly how much we're excited about that preliminary card main event on ESPN uh, in which the, the Bantamweights square off, and it's Davala Shilly as your favorite coming in against, obviously, a Marlon Moraes at 33, who needs to do something big. He's lost three or four. The losses are against the super elites of Cejudo, Sanhagen, and getting stopped in the first round by Rob Font last time out. But I think that one was like, a, oh, sh oh, shit, now he's getting stopped in the first round Luke um the win and, in that dude, and and he has shown cardio issues over the course of yes. a fight when it goes later 
against a guy like Davalashvili, dude, that is a fucking death sentence. And the only win in that was the a good performance against Jose Aldo. He got the the close decision when a lot of people thought Aldo could have or should have, and he ended up getting the title shot off of that loss anyway. Luke, um, it, the the theme of this fight is obviously if Marais still has it, it's time to pour it all out. Do you see desperation coming out of him? Do you see a resurgent? Uh, type of performance, win or lose, that that reminds us that he's not done. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on him coming in here as he, about a he, plus he two thirty underdog. He's not just lost; he's been made to look like a lesser version of how we understood him for even years. Like it's just like the guy just who we thought existed just went away, and in part because people realize if you pressure him, Jesus Christ, people just they call in me. If you pressure him consistently and move him back, he becomes just a very different. He, he gasses. He can't get his offense going. It just it 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 it, it really neuters him in a way. Uh, I don't know what the, quite the right word is. And a guy like Devalishvili, like he does have a he does leave plenty of openings for people to take advantage of. And he lacks a certain amount of polish to his game in terms of refined offensive skills. But as we've discussed, we are talking about a guy who's got a motor that cannot quit. I've yes. never seen someone who weaponizes cardio at the lower weight levels more than him. It is extraordinary what he's capable of. And that will break just about even the best technician if you let it. Crazy that Marais in that vacant title fight against Cejudo just two years ago, I mean, he looked great in that opening round. And since then, except for some some good performance against Aldo at times, he hasn't been the same. Luke, his four-fight win streak leading up to that title fight was what? Dodson, Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, Asuncao. I mean, Marais has beaten some top guys once he entered the UFC from that run, long run, as WSOF champion. So I'm hoping, Luke, win or lose, he he at least gets a good performance out of himself here. And I want to see if you, if Davala Shilly is the real deal. Luke, anything else on this card? Uh, you know, because we're, we're rededicating ourselves coming off of this thriller, Paul Summer to really breaking shit down yeah. for our hardcores. Luke, are you excited about Amanda Bobby Cooper's baby data, Cody Brundage, coming back against uh, Diaz product Nick Maximov? Uh, no, not super. Don't okay. care too much about that, but we'll see. Um, no, I mean, we, again, Shamil Abdurakhimov, Chris Dawkins is important for heavyweight division. Chris Dawkins puts out a high pace on people. Uh, by the way, Dan Hooker is at the weigh-ins, apparently, in great spirits. So that's fun. We've gone through what I think are the more interesting pieces of this card, personally. Okay, Chris Dawkins can put his hands together, Luke. I know, you know, some people are like, you know, could it get his, you know, chest muscles in better working order? But he can put his hands together, Luke, okay? People love to fat shame, but he can fight. Uh, they're the worst. Those people are the worst. Yo, this guy will knock you out. That's why if anyone made those jokes on a rooftop video, I would have them edited out instantly, Luke. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. All right, all right. Sorry, I lost you there, Luke. Uh, look, that's not the big fights of this weekend. UFC 266 is huge, but Luke, a little bit around dinner time, I believe 5, 10 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday is the scheduled main event time for a big deal in the boxing game. Unified heavyweight champion Anthony Joshua just one defeat against Andy Ruiz, which is avenged later that year, steps into a mandatory contest, Luke, that's anything but your typical mandatory fight. We consider this and the trilogy fight between Wilder and Fury that's coming up in two weeks somewhat of an unofficial Final Four semifinals to get us to an undisputed championship. They hit the scales earlier today. This fight will take place in Great Britain at Tottenham Hot Spurs Stadium, whatever the hell, you know, your Tottenham. English soccer buddies. 
Tottenham, Ham, Hamburg, Tottenham. Tottenham. Just they just you just roll right over it. Tottenham. 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 Um, Luke, you know I love me some Alexander Usyk, the six foot three southpaw, former undisputed cruiserweight champion, undefeated, fresh off last fall, a big heavyweight welcoming win against Derek Chisora to prove that he can compete on this level. This fight is huge in so many ways, and they came in on the scales. I believe it was 221 and a half for Usyk, 240 for Anthony mm. Joshua, which is actually seven to ten pounds lighter than we've seen AJ of late, whether that tells you anything. Luke, I could go on for days about how, how good this fight is, but we've already done the storylines and what the winner gets and all that shit. The real question we need to answer is does Usyk have the punch resistance and the power to pair with his already great footwork and, and technical advantages here to really make this a fight and be a live dog at the end of the day? What do you need to see, let's say, in the first six rounds of this fight that's going to show you which guy could be on the way to, to, to getting his hand raised? I don't think this is the first six rounds are the ones I'm going to be paying the most attention to. It's the last six. So, you know, you've been hyping this guy up for a long time, and so the last few nights, more than that, actually the last couple of weeks, but especially the last few nights, I've been watching fight after fight and breakdown after breakdown. I found a couple of really good pieces that explain what made him so good, but... I can't go into it. I don't want to go into all the stories here, in part because I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with AJ, who is, to me, I think you put it correctly this week. He is vulnerable. We have seen that. We have seen him on the canvas. Uh, but at the same time, he is quite resilient. And he is a fantastic boxer and technician himself. We should never lose sight of that. And as you indicated, you, you can see it at the face-off. You know, there's a difference between full-on heavyweight Anthony Joshua and yes. cruiserweight you know, moonlighting as a heavyweight in, in Usyk. There is a big physical difference. Okay, here is what I'm looking for. I think your most likely outcome is that Joshua wins. So if you're asking ourselves, okay, what are some conditions under which Usyk might be able to win? He ain't going to win this fight in the first six. I would be very, very surprised if he just comes out and he's so much better than Joshua that Joshua's getting circles boxed around him. That seems... That seems off to me. What Usyk really does so very well, dude, his jab over time, not any one round, not any one individual use of it, but over time, this thing is extremely important. When people talk about having an educated jab, they're talking about Alexander Usyk. He is able to probe with it. He is able to set up other shots with it. He is able to back fighters up from it. He's able to blind and change angles from it. Really, that's what he does, and he does that as they get tired and as he's able to move around them more and more. What you have to ask yourself is, under what conditions will Joshua be, be so confused where he's constantly, or at least tired slash confused, where he's constantly having to bring his guard up and down and he's on the defense? That won't happen in the first six rounds. He's going to be pumping his jab. He's going to be using his movement. He's going to be the bigger guy. You're going to see Usyk on the one, really on that outside, trying to find his way in. I think it's the last six. And in particular, if it goes this long, the last four, where I do think, even with that weight change, a guy like Joshua is going to tire. He is going to find his back along the ropes. I really believe that to an extent. Here's what I ultimately believe, BC, in my heart of hearts. Here's what I believe. They're very different boxers in very different scenarios, and AJ will be a very different person on each night. But I think that Usyk is going to start a process 
that only Tyson Fury can finish. Yes. I don't think Usyk has quite what it takes based on all the disadvantages and everything else to get this done. But I do think he's going to show you in those last four or six rounds certain openings, certain boxing clever tricks that a guy like Fury is going to take that baton and run with it later. I could be wrong. Who the fuck knows? But that's how I'm viewing this. I mean, look, the great breakdown of that. And I think you're right. I mean, it, it may, you know, could he, could this just be a blueprint that Tyson Fury takes upon and builds upon and use, utilizes if they get to the undisputed round? You know, maybe. But here's the deal. At its core, this fight is obviously boxer versus puncher. Full heavyweight, super heavyweight in Joshua who has speed to go with the power uh, against a, a classic technician, a smaller man moving up. But, Luke, there's so many... You know, I think their vulnerabilities really play a key role. For for Joshua, as you teased, it's it's the the stamina dumps from carrying that big frame. I mean, there are in his big fights moments where he's gotta he's gotta cover up and take a breather, where he got dropped against Klitschko and had to get up from that, you know, this could be an opening where Usyk, who hits so accurately, if he could the best chance he's gonna have of making AJ's sometimes vulnerable chin be a problem is in the second half of the fight when these stamina dumps kick in. So how does he get to that stamina dump? I think Usyk has to do a lot of what he did against Derek Chisora in the only one of his two heavyweight bouts up to date that matter. Now, Usyk won a close decision in a hard, somewhat grinding fight. And Luke, what Usyk does is he fights in such a daring style for a guy that's not a big puncher. He did it at cruiserweight, he does it at heavyweight, where he stands in front of you and swivels a lot like Canelo to make you miss, but is constantly hitting you with volume and creative volume, sidearm sort of sweeping slaps, you know, uppercuts, body shots. The thing is, he did that effectively against Chisora, who's a big puncher for sure, but not the Anthony Joshua level of puncher, not a two-handed finisher like Joshua who can get you out of there. So for Usyk to get to the point to expose AJ's vulnerabilities, Dude, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to walk through some stuff because Luke, I don't think he can, like you said, straight up come out there and just out dazzle him footwork wise and be up five rounds to one at the midway point. Usyk's going to have to dare to be great and go close to that fire. And the the good thing for him, if there's a wild card with Usyk that could help him win, you know, I don't think it's just that he has incredible craft and from that Ukrainian system, he's unpredictable and all that. Luke, he has championship medal. Both of these guys are Olympic gold medalists in 2012. Um, Usyk at heavyweight, AJ at super heavyweight. But we can't overlook what Usyk did at cruiserweight. His resume of winning seven straight fights against elite fighters in that division, winning the World Boxing Series uh, Super Series uh, tournament title, unifying all four titles, becoming the first to do it in that weight class. Look, what he did against elite competition was incredible because a lot of these guys, Marat Gassiev, Myrus Brightus, these are punchers. These are tech, you know, these are these are guys that can get you out of there. And he stood right in front of them and in a lot of cases took their best shots and came back. He went in there against Tony Bellew and knocked him out and retired him. He has proven that on the big stage, he can rise to the occasion. So while Luke, tell me the truth. You did you watch the Chisora fighter, at least the highlights of it, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like people came out of that going, okay. Usyk proved by outpointing Chisora that he's big enough to win big heavyweight fights. But I don't think he proved enough that he could do it against the next level size and skilled guys like AJ. There were, would you agree that there were question marks based on that? 100%. No doubt about it. I went back and rewatched that fight again this morning, Luke. 
Some of the question marks, though, I think are style-based, meaning this. Chisora's an old-school, you know, roughhouser. I think what Chisora did from the beginning very well was use his offhand to hold Usyk and go to the body and club to the side of the head and just make it a physical taxing fight, which really wore Usyk down to a degree, at least when he went to the body on him, and, and, and kept it away from being a track meet. Usyk had to stand in the pocket. AJ's not that same fighter on the inside. Is he more dangerous to knock you out? Yes. But AJ's not an inside fighter. He doesn't do a ton of leaning on you like Vladimir Klitschko did. He's an upright guy who looks to land the combination to get you out of there. Luke, I don't know if it's going to be as physically taxing for Usyk as that specific fight was in the Chisora one, even though AJ's the better performer here. Obviously, Usyk's going to have to not get knocked out in the first half. But I think he may surprise AJ at his ability to land big shots in the pocket and not have to run for cover, Luke. It's going to be a dance like we haven't seen before. But if we get into round seven or eight, like you mentioned, and it's not completely one-sided in other direction on the scorecards, Usyk's going to be in this fight in the second mm -hmm. half. It's going to be a hell of an incredible theater. I can't go as far as picking Usyk to knock him out. AJ would really have to have an implosion here, Luke, like he had against Andy Ruiz. But the prospect of us exiting these 12 rounds tomorrow with the idea that Usyk could head to the scorecards and win this are not out of the question. And I think when you look at the odds, which really has Usyk as less than a 3-1 to one underdog here, they're pretty damn close, all things considering. I think the odds makers understand. This is, I won't call it the fight of AJ's life, but this is a style that until he fights Fury, who's got a little bit of this, but on a six foot nine frame, this is going to be the toughest test in the, in the classroom for AJ to pass. Now, Luke, this is boxing, so we get bullshit. Bullshit can be scorecards that are mailed in and paid for. Bullshit can also be sometimes, Luke, judges that are affected by being in a soccer stadium with, you know, 50 to 70,000 people. And them cheering on AJ like he's a rock star hero, which is a thing. AJ's fights are events. Bro, that matters. That sways judging. Do you have confidence? Whether it's uh on the on the you know, on the whether it's good faith or not, that AJ, that AJ can lose by decision here at home. <laughs> it would take a lot. <laughs> It would take a lot. I'm with you. I think that if it goes to the scorecards, it's probably a foregone conclusion. Short of short of Anthony Joshua just getting mauled and dropped multiple times and like mathematically there's not even a way to do it. Short of that, if it goes to the judges' scorecards, Usyk is losing. There's, I don't I don't know what you can say otherwise. I mean, uh, with you, you, people don't understand this. Like the New Jersey State Athletic Control Board has experimented with having judges in soundproof uh, rooms in those little booths to judge fights to see what that does and if there's any differences with the judges who are on the floor. They didn't make any of those results available, but I'd be curious to know what they found. And in any case, we just sort of know how boxing works. But you see, the one thing I would go back to with the Chisora fight, forget about the styles and everything else. Dude, Usyk has now had a little bit more time to acclimate his body to heavyweight. We saw John Jones last night, and John Jones was saying he was at 255. He wants to wait till he's 270. So that he can be, uh, you know, he can have the, as many physical advantages as possible, plus retain his technique and speed and everything else. And he's got guys in his camp, you know, Stan Efferding, the rhino. I respect Stan Efferding a lot, the inventor of the vertical diet. He's famous in the strength world, the whole other stuff. Dude, that guy knows what he's doing big time. Here's what I'm pointing out. 
obviously we saw the weights, 220, 221, whatever Usyk was. I don't think he made a big change in that sense. But in terms of filling out maybe a little bit more, understanding what happens to him when the fight goes a distance, 12 rounds at heavyweight, like just feeling out that process, having that under his belt, I do think that will aid him at least a little bit, a little bit, this time out with Joshua. I mean, Usyk has enough size not to be at an extreme disadvantage against the super heavyweights, but maybe not enough to fully pull off his his craft work. We're going to find out. I hate that I'm going to make this prediction because I made it a lot sometimes in these big Canelo fights where you're like, I really like the guy Canelo's facing, Danny Jacobs, you know, Golovkin. But here's what I think is going to happen. It's similar to the predictions I made in a lot of those fights, Luke. I think I'm going to exit this fight having scored it for Usyk 7-5 or 8-4, and I still think he's going to lose a close decision. Because unless he can hurt or knock down AJ, it may be hard. And especially, you also have to consider, Usyk may get dropped himself in trying to execute this. So that, although a knockdown means one point, Luke, sometimes that can lead to a stretch for a judge or someone watching at home of thinking a fight is more dominant in one direction than it actually is. Either way, here's the deal. Usyk's a live dog. I'm picking him to win a close decision here, Luke. I believe he can do it. I believe he's the mm. better boxer. I believe he's daring enough to be great enough to pull this off. But there's a line that you come to in terms of greatness when you dare that you may end up on the canvas if you're daring too much against a finisher like AJ. So if AJ is the real and he's going to beat the Wilders and Furies, Luke, when we finally get there, then he's got to beat Alexander Usyk and he's got to leave no doubt here. I'm not as confident in you about his chances, but I think he's going to show us something here that is going to be... It's not like Andy Reid... Or Andy Reid. <laughs> Andy Ruiz. They look similar, I suppose, in certain ways. Uh, it's not like Andy Ruiz, who you felt like... I don't know. Lucky is a strong word the first time out, but you know, could, could that be reproducible is really the issue. Could, could you do that a second time? And I know that... Obviously, Ruiz sabotaged himself for the second time, but I'm pointing out like the boxing things that he did. I, I don't know if Usyk's going to get the job done, BC, but my prediction is that the boxing things that he shows, uh, someone else will be able to do that as well. This fight will be carried by DAZN in the States. It'll be, they're saying, around 510 Eastern, the main event. Luke, I'll be doing a uh, instant analysis for morning combat after this event. You'll be doing the same Sweet. for UFC 266, correct? Correct. All right, good shit right there. Luke, let's close with a couple quick hitters. You mentioned that John Jones appeared at the UFC Hall of Fame red carpet last night, and he was jacked and telling multiple reporters that he's, what, 255 now? He wants to get up to 270 so he can cut down those last five pounds to make heavyweight. So here's the interesting thing. Uh, he said he expects to be second quarter of 2022 making his heavyweight debut. He would prefer it comes against the winner of Nganu and Cyril Gan. He only wants to get paid big and be in big fights. Luke, we already knew that coming in. He said Dana promised him a bump in pay from what he was making last time out. So we'll see if hiring Richard Schaefer, the boxing promoter, as his advisor will help that. But the key pickup is what we said. John Jones specifically said, I don't want to be the smaller man in any of these heavyweight fights. So I want to come in, the guy who's in better shape, who's better fit, and who is just as big. Luke, by the time he gets in here, it will have been, what, almost two years, correct? In terms of rebuilding his body for this heavyweight move. Is this the smartest possible way for John Jones to have anything close to the success he had at light heavyweight in a second division? 
Well, I'll say this. I think if you're going to go up as heavy as he wants to go up, doing it the way that he's doing is probably the best way. As I mentioned, the guys he's got in this camp getting him ready for this, um, Stan Efferding, chief among them, you know, I'm going to say just nothing but good things about them. These are not chumps. These are not charlatans. These people know what they're doing. At the same time, am I really to believe that that John Jones, you know, with all that time off, with all that change to his physical stature, is going to be a better version. I'm very skeptical of that, or even the right kind of version of himself for uh, 200 and, and well, potentially 65 pounds if he has an opponent that size. I guess we'll have to see how big Gone or whoever gets. Um, no, I don't. I don't think that that's actually going to be to the best of his chances. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he will win or lose. I don't know exactly how to that will all play itself out here, but I believe that John's strengths personally lie in. I think there's a case to be made for going 240-ish or something like that. But just trying to be the bigger guy every time, if you're not the bigger guy every time, you're not sort of fighting. I mean, this sort of, what is natural? That's sort of an overstated word. But to the extent that you pack on muscle in that way, I think it reduces some of the athletic gifts that come about more naturally Agreed. for him. And uh, I'm skeptical of it, to be quite frankly. But that doesn't mean I, I, I know for, oh, I'm declaring it will be a failure. No, I don't know that. But am I telling, I've said this before, dude, this idea, everyone's just, oh, well, John's just always been good. He's just always going to be good. Why? why? Why would that be the case? There's been time off. He's transforming his body. That division's gotten a lot better. Like, there's plenty of reasons to think that that won't be true. So let's see. It's you know the speed thing scares me. Remember when Luke Rockhold went up to face Blahowitz at 205, Luke, and he got his body jacked up and he looked great, but you didn't see the same movements. Obviously, it's a different fighter with different vulnerabilities. But I think you're right. I, I think the muscle is important for punch resistance against these bigger guys, for clinch work, for wrestling, all that stuff. But if he doesn't have that same speed reaction ability, he's not going to be the same fighter there. So. Hey, I'll tell you what, it makes his debut when it eventually happens all the more interesting. Quick hitters here. We, should do, we should do a resume review on that. On what? <laughs> on John's return after he uh, is gone for so long and then comes back at heavyweight. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be sweet revenge for 2014, Luke, although that's not what you're <laughs> after. Or 2017, sorry. Uh, Luke, yeah, Misha Tate has COVID and has pulled out of her, what, October 16th UFC fight night return. She was going to be in the main event. You were going to have Holly Holm in the co-main against Norma Dumont. The idea that the winners would face one another. Who was Tate's original opponent, Luke? I don't have it in front of me. It wasn't at home? No. No. They were going to fight forgotten then. main and co-main. Anyway, it's not going to happen, so we delay the Tate comeback. Just put her in there against home. That's the fight we want to see anyway. She already yeah, proved Sorry, I was just thinking out loud like what I wanted to see, not what actually was yeah. happening. Uh, Luke, Tyron Woodley told Ariel Hawani that he actually is going to get the Jake Paul tattoo, and he's going to get it this weekend. Hey, Luke, um, I'll take this one. You're not getting the rematch, bro. Enough with this tattoo bullshit. You don't you don't need to prove anything to anyone. You went in there and you you tried hard. You didn't pull the trigger enough. Don't embarrass yourself with a Jake Paul tap for life. You're not in the sweepstakes for another fight. Look, am I wrong? Yeah, Is dude, any- like, I don't understand this at all. It's like you had, maybe that was bullshit too, but at least it seemed like if you got the tattoo, you could maybe buy yourself an entry into the second fight. Quite clearly, there's no demand for a rematch whatsoever. Not, not that I've seen. You, there is some for uh, Dylan Dennis, but he's doing whatever the fuck he's doing. So Tommy Fury appears to be the, by far, likeliest candidate. 
why would you get the tattoo now when it doesn't serve any of those other interests? And if you're doing it to try to gain favor, then it's kind of acting like a biatch, Luke. It is. It is. I don't like it at all. Be, be better than that. By the way, uh, Misha Tate, before I get dead wrong a million times, was supposed to be fighting Ketlin Vieira. Thank you. Thank you very much for that one, Luke. Speaking of Jake Paul, he put out an, I thought, incredible video on Wednesday roasting Tommy Fury for not accepting the offers, which he claims is four times the amount of Tommy Fury's highest payday, which came, according to Paul, on that undercard in Cleveland just a little while back. Luke, Jake Paul gave him one final chance to accept. Uh... You, you, you a admirer of his of his troll game here on this video? Because it was next level. I know, people were telling me, I was like, this is impressive. And people were like, why is it impressive? I'm like, you people have not talked to many fighters before, have you? For a fighter to assert A-level, A-side status so expertly while using metrics uh, and then the fighter's own words against them, I've never seen a fighter ever do that, ever, ever. They make vague references to things. He had detailed receipts, Luke. Detailed receipts, put it together in like a very quick package, understands how the stuff should be played, made a joke about Dylan Dennis' expense, made Tommy Fury seem on the one level wanted, but also, you know, you're not that wanted guy. Um, and then to do it so quickly, so expertly like that, I'm like, dude, how... This is you. You wish fighters could do this. this. This is really what Jake Paul does. When it comes time to fight, it's like whatever, man. Like he's not that great. Obviously, he's not good at all, really. But on this side of it, the promotional side of it, dude, he's kicking the fighters' asses when it comes to this. They don't have any concept of how to deal with it. Luke, I'm being told we have the video for people wondering what we're talking about. Let's go to the videotape. Yes. All right, so this is the last time I'm speaking about this guy if we don't end up fighting because I'm starting to get pissed off. Tommy Fury's about to fumble the biggest bag of his life. Tommy, I made you famous. I gave you the biggest payday of your life. You came to the U.S., got your U.S. debut for your dream to come true. I gave you a chance to shine in front of the whole entire world, and now I'm offering to quadruple the biggest payday of your life that I gave you to fight me. For everyone at home, this is what happens when you give someone clout, when you give them an ego. They start to think they're better than they actually are. I have dozens of other fighters calling me out every single week, Tommy. You're replaceable. It's the same thing that I told Dylan Dennis in our DMs. I told Dylan there is definitely potential to negotiate up to $1 million, and if I have to take some of my own purse to get this done, I will. I told Dylan I personally want to fight you the most, but A, if you don't take it right now, the odds of us fighting in the future are very slim, and B, obviously this is the biggest fight you will most likely ever see, and C, we have other offers out there, so you need to make a decision in less than 72 hours. Dylan fumbled his bag. He didn't want to fight, and guess what? I am never going to fight Dylan Dennis ever. He missed the biggest opportunity of his life. He thought I was joking around. And now Dylan Dennis is in jail. Tommy, do you want to end up in jail? Take the fight, Tommy. You're too busy taking Molly instead of taking fights. I told Dylan Dennis you're replaceable as fuck and you have to accept that. Let's just take a look of the Google trends over the past 12 months. I'm in the blue. Tommy's in the red. Only time Tommy spikes is when I talk about him. Tommy, no one gives a fuck about you if it wasn't for your older brother, who I respect, or your catfish girlfriend. We all made you famous. 
famous. You didn't make yourself famous. Let's see what the people have to say. Timmy about to fumble the biggest bag of his career. How are you gonna talk all that shit and then back out? LMAO, Tommy is really scared to fight Jake. KSI and Tommy both scared. There must be some UK shit going on. Y'all are bitch made. Jake doesn't even need this fight to be honest. He can fight if he wanted to fight someone better. My opponent busy beating his chest in the club. They're all dodging the goat Jake Paul. Tommy, it's like Eminem said, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Make the right. Dude, that is. Look, I mean, we're that's not a asking slam people dunk to like if him. ever there was one. Bro, we're not asking people to like him because we cash Showtime checks. We're asking people to just look at that and say, like, he's using his content creator skills. Like, love him or hate him, Luke, he's a success for a reason. That's a detailed, like. Like them, he, I mean, he dropped bars on those guys, Luke. Dude, he did that in what, a minute and a half or however long that is, two minutes or less? And in yeah. that time, he made, I mean, this is what he does, right? And people are going to get mad when I make this comparison, but I'm, I'm right on this one. Again, dude, Jake Paul, I, we've said it before, for a celebrity, he can box. For a boxer, he's a celebrity. Like, that's really just the reality of it, okay? And he's probably all, only ever going to be that. But here's why that was so good. Yes, he took shots at everyone, and he made Dylan Dennis look so bad, and he goes after uh, uh, Tyson, or excuse me, Tommy Fury's girl, but that, that's not the point. The point is, here's what he does to his rivals. He makes them be just wanted enough to be interesting, only relative to his interests, and tries to make the world believe, and his opponents believe, quite successfully in many cases, that without him... Uh, you don't really have any other path to achieve a similar end. You are at once, you need me, and at the same time, I'm going to beat your ass, so you are cursed by me. So no matter what they choose, they either take the big fight with the big money and get their ass whipped, or they don't, and then they get forgotten about. That's, that's the kind of message, and frankly, the kind of argument he makes, which is in many ways carries truth. Dude, the last guy to really kind of do that in very different ways, obviously. Conor McGregor did shit like that where you yeah. knew you needed him, and if you didn't accept it on his terms, you might just be irrelevant in the end. You need to get into the red panty night while the getting was good. Now, obviously, Conor McGregor is an A-list level fighter, and Jake uh, Paul is a content creator. They're not the same in that way, and they have their own methods. But, dude, that's a fucking slam dunk of a call-out if ever there was one. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, you don't want to be in jail, do you? That that popped me. Speaking of jail, he mentioned <laughs> Dylan Dennis and ripped on him Luke. Dennis arrested on the Jersey Shore in a bar following disorderly conduct. And the video is making the rounds that the submission grappling expert was essentially choked out by a police officer. Luke, uh, like, everyone's clowning this. And, I, and you know, Dan, Dan, Dennis is such a troll that, you know, people are having their day laughing at him. And I'm not saying don't do that. But this was kind of more sad to me than it was let me laugh at this, Luke. Um, a guy yeah, who, like... Sad. I, I think he's done a great job making himself important despite not winning big fights. It's like get in the cage and win big fights to continue that, or is this really all you are? It felt sad to me, Luke. So so what's funny about this is one of my friends who doesn't care about combat sports at all follows Dylan on Instagram because I guess Dylan is sort of trolly and kind of funny there. Uh, I don't follow him, so I can't say for sure. But uh, we're, a bunch of us are on a WhatsApp group, and one of the other guys who doesn't watch any combat sports goes, who is Dylan Dennis? And my friend who follows uh, just him but doesn't really watch replied before I could, and his answer was, Conor McGregor's flunky. Dude, that's what he's becoming known as. Yeah. I mean, that's, what, uh, that's not even me saying it. That's not me endorsing it. That's me just telling you what do casuals 
who have a sort of a you know a basic sense of what's happening here how do they talk about you what do they say about you that's what they're saying about him dude it gets much worse than this i don't know if you followed the story so his chief rival for a time now not they're not in any way rivals because one has just ascended to the top and one hasn't in jiu-jitsu gordon ryan posted this video again and asked if anyone knew the bouncer well guess who knew the bouncer or at a bare minimum tagged him in the comments of this Gordon Ryan post, none other than Al Iaquinta. <laughs> Al Iaquinta knew who the bouncer was, tagged his, his Instagram handle on there, and now Gordon Ryan is going to send that guy, the bouncer who choked him out, who, by the way, had his ankles crossed when he had the back, which you're never supposed to do, and Dylan <laughs> didn't do anything about it. Now Gordon Ryan is going to send that guy to the ADCC finals when Gordon Ryan returns to competition and whenever the okay, fuck that will awesome. be. It's it. The story is unbelievable. People have been waiting. They have been waiting to. Dr- I mean, it is et tu brute season up in here. Yeah, they have been is. waiting to drive the knife in his back. And did he ever deliver that up for them? Let in me the dead wrong myself. Not a police officer, as you mentioned, security guard there at the bar. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So you know, the only way Dennis can repair himself, by the way, is get in the fight, get into fights, and back up your trash talk by winning. You know, he's with Bellator. I thought he looked good in that, what, one, two fights have we seen him in, Luke? On, against low yeah, level? Yeah, and also it's like, you know, it's one thing, like Conor McGregor has more to lose if he gets into a fight at a club or a bar or something because he's Conor McGregor. But at the same time, like, people are going to test him in ways that they're not going to test others. Dude, Dylan Dennis is not famous enough to be, like, excusably fighting in bars. Yeah. Now, of course, we need to wait for the full story here. Maybe somebody attacked him and this is defense and who the fuck knows. Probably not is the end of the story there. I will have to see. But like you're you cannot be doing shit like this. Like why yeah. are you getting arrested on Instagram and fucking bars? Like you're like at the, least it, at least Mike Perry and Joe Schilling won their bar fights, right? Don't go down the <laughs> BJ Penn road, okay? Please, all right? Please. Well you're right. getting knocked out outside the lava shack. Yeah, it's not yeah. great, man. Uh to close our quick hit, not so quick hitters, Luke, uh Dana White told Robert Fox of Barstool that Jorge Masvidal and Leon Edwards is the plan. That is the next fight. No date or location or anything, Luke. Does that seem like a good call? And does that tell you that Nate and Connor are on a collision course for number three once Connor heals up early next year? Seems that way. Leon Edwards is a tough fight for Jorge. But at the same time, I think Jorge, that's a very winnable fight for him. I would favor Edwards. But mm, I don't know. Like, I think Jorge could make that interesting. I, 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 it's funny as both guys were like, I don't give a fuck about that fight. I've moved past it. Fuck that pussy ass. Blah, 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 blah. And then a week later, like, Dan is like, yeah, that's the fight we're making. That just shows you all these guys are like, I keep saying it, man. All these guys are like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a stand for fighter pay. If you're doing it alone, you're doing nothing other than just saying things on social media. So... Yeah, funny. Well, Luke Rockhold told Ariel he thinks, uh, you know, Usman in, in Adesanya should have had Nganu's back and formed a triumphant of, Af- of African champions fighting against the machine to change fighter pay, Luke. I know. It's a little nation of domination. <laughs> Would have been an interesting faction at the very least, Luke. Um, we may be yeah. dead wrong for most of the things we say, Luke, because they allow us to yell into a microphone for so many hours per week. And uh, look, I was wrong, Luke on interrupting you so much on Monday's MK show, on interrupting you so much on the rooftop shit diary show. Um, you know, <laughs> I'll change. Look, I can be better. But luckily, our fans have an email address, morningcombat at gmail.com every week to hit us up with our own dead wrong.
Yeah, well, the good news is we were so hungover on Wednesday, you just didn't have the energy to interrupt me. It was great. Yeah, Luke, I mean, that's more to come on that. All right, dead wrong number one. Uh, you better bring receipts, folks, if you want to wrong us out here. This one's from Chris. When Luke was discussing the lyrics that impacted him, he said the song Wood by Alice. The lyrics? In- yeah, discussing lyrics that impacted you. Luke. Oh, lyrics. What did I say? You said what? lyrics, like L-A-R-X. Larynx? Yeah, I, I apparently because of my factory town upbringing, my f- wife makes fun of the way I pronounce things, Luke. I have a problem saying, is it ear here or air hair? Ear hair. Is it Fader Bader or Fador Bador? I can't figure this stuff out. Anyway, Luke, uh, Chris says, um, Luke said Wood by Alice in Chains was written by Lane's Addiction. In fact, uh, I guess you were you were uh, referencing the late lead singer, Lane Staley. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was written by Jerry Cantrell, the lead guitarist, and is about Andrew Wood, the lead singer of Mother Love Bone. Still love you guys, but Luke is dead wrong. People say that shit. But did he did he cite anything? Did he bring a citation around? You're like I saw Building Seven fall, but until you can show me the architectural scientific per, uh, reasoning of how it did, I will not believe in your conspiracy. Well, I, I believe that it fell. All right, at least you believe that. All right, you're like, yo, bro, show me a receipt. Okay, Luke, that's fine. Let's keep it going. Uh, Michael, Blake, and Deacon all wrote in on this one on the Friday, September 17th show. Luke fucked up as he tends to do. He said Zhang Weili never had a title defense when she, in fact, defended her title against Joanna in the 2020 fight of the year after beating oh, Jessica yes. Andrade to win yes, the title. God. How the fuck does Luke forget about the Joanna title defense? Sounds like he needs to go the way of Benavidez and Condit. Just kidding. <laughs> LOL. That's fair. After a botch that bad? Yeah, that's fair. All right, I'll take that, L. Put, please, put some respect on, on JJ Champion's name there. Please. Sorry, okay? sorry. I don't know what happens. You know what happens on this show, and I don't like it? People keep sending me pictures of Ioana in my, in my IG DMs. Guys, I already follow her, okay? I've seen these, all right? Thank you very much. They're fire, all right? I've been there. All right, Luke. Um, in episode 204, this is Christy and Caesar writing in. At one ten thirty seven, Luke says, "Wow, Luke's getting hammered here." Luke yeah, says, "Crushed today." Did Pacquiao and Marquez need to fight five times? But as far as I can tell, they only fought four times. I'm not a boxing fan, so maybe the Wikipedia page is wrong. But I think they only fought four times. P.S. Yeah, Anthony Smith is must watch. BC is dead wrong about that. Yeah, Luke, I didn't dead wrong you about the Pac Marquez because they fought so many times. You're like, yo, do they have to fight five times? I've invented a fifth fight. That's fine. That's fine. They fought a ton, all right? Luke, apparently Anthony Smith is must watch. What do I know? All right? Jack shit. All right. Uh, This is from Sotak, Alex, another Alex, Emilian, and Petrit. Wow, people are ganging up on us. Hey, guys, I left this in the YouTube comments, but in today's Monday episode, Luke says at 49 minutes, from Chisinau, Romania, which is correct. Moldova. It's incorrect because Chisinau is in Moldova, not Romania. I would know because I happen to be Okay, no, no, that part part I must have misheard you because I did know that Chisinau was in Moldova. I thought we were talking about Moldovan fighters. And I was bringing up Maria Shafir, and then the guy from 90 Day Fiance is also from Moldova. 
Yeah, so take that. I'm not sure uh, how Romania got involved, but for sure, I may have said it wrong, in which case I'll eat the L, that's fine, <laughs> but like, just to clarify, that's why I brought that up. All right, we got more L's for Luke to eat here. This is from Dave, Mark, and Vu, V-U. On episode 205 during Have You Seen the Shit, Luke said that the Leicester versus Napoli game was Champions League. This, of course, is dead wrong because it was Europa League. Europa Luke, League. Yes, I forgot the teams are so shitty. My bad. Look, get your shit together. It looks like, no, I think it's I mean, Bundesliga. it's like, for folks who don't know, this is like I said they were in the NCAA tournament, and they're like, no, nah, they're in the NIT. I mean, you're right. You know, it's different. Okay. Okay. Uh, this one's for BC. Travis comes in at 129 during the Have You Seen the Shit segment of episode 266. Brian says the crowd fight for college football was during the West Virginia versus Virginia football game. It was actually West Virginia versus Virginia Tech and a long Ooh. overdue continuation of the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy rivalry between the same two teams. Yeah, Luke, apparently I was dead wrong, all right? I, I stopped watching college Pop football quiz. a couple years back. What city in Virginia is Virginia Tech in? Blacksburg. What about UVA? Richmond. No, Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Okay, okay, all right. I like the state of Virginia, by the way, Luke. I, I would nice. live there. I would live yeah, there. Yeah, Virginia, no, Virginia's nice. You'd like Virginia. Would you say it's got southern weather and northern ideals and New England-like well, nature? Well, you see, people say that, but, I mean, Virginia is not what people think it is. Like, northern Virginia has got, you know, sort of city slicker mentality kind of thing. Bro, you go to, like, Roanoke or Blacksburg or south of Richmond or whatever, and that's fucking red state America. You actually can get... Both, depending on where you want to go. It really is a lot of variety for a lot of different kinds of people. Okay. All right. Anyone we know work, live in Virginia in the MMA game, or are you alone? Uh, Dan Stupp lives in Virginia. Yes. Okay. Did okay. you know that? Well, you don't technically live in Virginia, but you're, you're, you're no. more Virginia than you are Maryland, right? More or less? Yeah. I mean, I went to, I grew up, I went to, I lived in Falls Church when I was a kid when my parents got divorced when I first moved out of D.C., and then I went to college, obviously, in Virginia. So, yeah, I'm a little more Virginia than Maryland. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Wow, we got a lot of dead wrongs here. This is from Joshua. In the Nick, Nick Diaz resume review, right after discussing Diaz pen at one hour and six minutes, BC asks Luke, when did Diaz not show up to the press conference and lose his title shot altogether? Was it before or after the BJ fight? And Luke yeah, says... Yeah, but hold on. We didn't know off the top of our heads, right? Yeah. we, we So... Uh, Luke says it was after this fight, and Luke is dead wrong. The whole yeah, reason I didn't Nick, know. I didn't know. The whole reason Nick fought BJ at 137 to begin with was because he was meant to face GSP in his promotional return for the welterweight title. However, he had showed no showed the conference and fought his return fight against. You saw his yeah. You got what I'm talking about. The yeah, fight was I didn't instead know. given I, to I, again. A couple of these I got totally wrong. A couple of these I was just guessing. I didn't know. I did not know that one. Okay. I mean, I remember what had happened, but I can't piece it all back together. I was also wrong for saying that when GSP became healthy, that's when Diaz skipped the conference. So altogether, we were dead wrong, Luke. Okay? Okay. Fair enough. That's fine. That's fine. All right. We got one more. On episode 206, Mike writes in and says, uh, BC said George W. Bush threw out the first pitch at Shea Stadium in the first game after 9-11. Oh, Yankee Stadium, When, in it? fact... BC was referencing Game 3 of the World Series that same year at Yankee Stadium when George Bush came out in the bulletproof vest and the big plumpy jacket and threw the strike in there. Yeah, you're right. I'm dead wrong on that. I was linking that with the Mike Piazza home run game in the first game at Shea after 9-11 when this was the World Series. By the way, Luke, 
2001 was an incredible World Series with dramatic twists and turns. I was in bars, I think, for every game, and specifically those two Yankee comebacks at home. Uh, like, people were so looking to cheer for something that there was, like, a next-level element of, like, America just won, even though I hate the Yankees. I couldn't give a crap about the Diamondbacks. But everybody sort of got together like, yeah, this one's for us. What do we win? We don't win anything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really remember that World Series all that much. Are I you remember, kidding me, Luke? Uh, Are you kidding me? Uh, hold on. I was, but I was living in New York City when, God, what game was that where Aaron Boone hit that late home run? That was uh, the 2003 Game 7 of the ALCS, Red yes. Sox at Yankees, when they and it pulled. Sent them, it, sent, it sent the Yankees to the World Series, correct? They should have pulled Pedro, right? And the Yankees so, rallied. Dude, so they, I remember my friend was living at 12th and 3rd at that time, which for folks who know, it's like between St. Mark's Place and Union Square. And dude, all 3rd Avenue were people standing up on top of their cars, honking the horn, no traffic moving. It, the, it, Manhattan was like fucking jubilant that moment i was in a very dimly lit bar on that aaron boone home run night i lost uh so much money on betting against the yankees that year in the playoffs uh, i was at the <laughs> bottom of my life and i remember when boone hit that home run uh yankees and red sox fans instantly started fist fighting it was like look there was so much tension in the bar you know what yes I mean? there it was, was. Like, there was a shitload of tension that's true all right. Well, you know where there's no tension at all? It's our final segment every Friday, Luke, where we give a suggestion, a tip of the cap, a little bit of a, you know, tip your waitresses if you can, if you can get that close to her, a little bit of a tip to tip, Luke. Get that tip. About to give you my tip, bitch. Luke, do you want to go first or second here? Uh, I can go first if you like. Okay. First... If you're 42 and pathetic, you should stop drinking. I had a little, I had a long look in the mirror, and I was like, "Wow, you're an unbelievable piece of shit, person. You need to get your fucking life together." And God, you're pathetic. So there's one piece of advice. Now, more practical advice, I will say, BC, that someone recommended this to me, and I was like, uh, "Let's see how good this is." It was cheap to buy. It was like 10 bucks for a bunch of these. So I bought them, and they have been tremendous. If you might be noticing, BC, I don't really push my glasses up too much anymore because I don't need to because someone recommended to me Smart Top eyeglass holders, wherever the fuck. I don't know if you can read that label or not. Let's see. Can you? Pull it back a little bit maybe. Let's see. Pull it. Yeah, Smart Top. You can kind of see it right there at the top of the logo. What is it? Well, I'll show you. They sit on the back of your glasses. You see that? These little hooks right here. And so they hook around the back of your ear so your glasses don't keep going and falling down. You put them on just like so. Mine are clear. No one can see them. They tuck behind the ear and they work amazingly. Now I don't have to constantly adjust my glasses. So between realizing that I'm an unbelievable washed piece of trash <laughs> and getting things that fix my glasses, I'm feeling, you know... A little more in tune with reality. Luke, I can't wait till you're completely an old piece of shit and you go to the grocery store and buy one of those eyeglass repair kits that they have in like next to the gum in line at the register. And, you know, look like while that's like you need that. We see you, you know, 30 times a show. I, I, can't, I don't have glasses here doing your constant adjusting. Um, but that makes you look like an old piece of shit. I'm not going to lie to you, Luke. You know? can, I, can I just tell you one thing that I've realized over time about myself? 
Yes, yes. What do you I, got? I used to look at people who had allergies, and I'd be like, damn, look at that piece of shit with them inferior-ass genetics. Hope he doesn't breathe. Thinking that I was superior, or like, I had 20-20 vision. God damn, look at my brilliant eyesight. And then, you know, I used to be able to party with the best of them. Now I'm 42 and throwing up in sinks at work. Yeah. You know, after, after four apple teenies, I mean... You know, basically, I've been Kenny Powers my whole fucking life. <laughs> I'm fucking in. You're fucking out. No one knows shit except me. And uh, I've been wrong about basically everything my entire life. Yeah, and it's a sober wrong. It's a sobering moment. Dead wrong, in fact. I mean, Luke, you know, I wish I could make fun of you throwing up in that sink, but we saw what happened in the Mexican restaurant later. Luckily, you didn't see it because that was disgusting. And then also... Uh, you know, all, all of our listeners were like, hey, love having Chuck back, but can we kill BC? Can we kill him? Because I can't <laughs> I can't be white girl drunk with that with that kid anymore. And, you know, Luke, you can only read so many of those comments where you're like, you know, did I need to drink that aggressively during that show, Luke? Did I? Well, I drank too aggressively as well. By the way, a uh, bit of a breaking news here. Nasrak, Hack Parast, and Dan Hooker, if you can believe it, made weight. Is that wow. not just stupid, unbelievable? That is. Remember that time Chris Lieben fought twice in like two days? Remember? And, and he made weight for both. And it was just sort of like, you know, he just fought a war with uh, Sexyama, and then he was back the next week, Luke. Yeah, it reminds me of that in a way. It's like, you don't need to do this, you know? Like, there's yeah, more. Nick Diaz, by the way, he just made weight 51 seconds ago, 185 and a half. All right, all right. Luke, my tip surrounds, first of all, the fact that we have the best fans in the world. You already know this. But, look, there's a wrong rumor that all of our fans are your old MMA fans from your personal channel. Luke, I brought some of that shit with me over That's here. That's true. Luke, I've That's done true. a few things before I met your old ass, okay? I know, One I know. I didn't, I, I've never said that. I think you do bring a unique audience. One of my favorite listeners going back to uh, my boxing podcast days with Rafe Partholomew up and down is a fella... From North Kakalaki named Enoch Marchant, the co-owner, Luke, of the Nice Price Books and Records store in Raleigh, North Carolina on Hillsborough Street. Right, They got a nice tote bag they sent me right across from NC State University. You want some good vinyl shit, go to Nice Price. Luke, I love my guy Enoch so much. What he'll do, which is awesome, every once in a while he'll, he'll um, what do you call that in a museum? He'll curate, Luke some vinyl for me that he knows I'll like based on things I say on the show. It'll shoot me out a package, Luke. So I just got a package in the mail the other day. I got this new, uh, this Fela Cootie record from 1970. I'm so fired up. I mean, I got my own copy finally of Harvest. I mean, Luke, I'm, I'm, I'm fantastic right here. But Luke, our fans, meaning my fans, are so good that they're even thinking about you, Luke. Enoch is such a man. He goes, I know Luke isn't into vinyl, but should he decide this quarantine like you, BC, to start his own vinyl collection, I've got the perfect one you can give him. So, Luke, my tip to you is I have the perfect record for you to start your vinyl addiction. It's called Latin Booty Party Jams, Luke, okay? Right here. And um, I put it on, Luke, and i got to be honest, it, it makes me want to bang, okay? There are some, there are some killer, some killer tracks on here so uh enoch gets us luke he realizes how much shake a little something by two live crew would be up your avenue or or papa joe re, re, or... Re, i want you to read a few of the song titles mommy el negro pop that c <laughs> la hora de balar um i poppy uh mama juanita 
Negra Chula. I don't know if I'm swearing here. La Flaca. No, you're not. Dude, dude, I'm telling you, here's what you don't understand. You would love Latin America for one reason. Dude, they don't, I don't know how to explain this. Like, if you're, like, kind of chubby, everyone will just call you, like, gordito. Or if you're obviously black, they'll be like, oh, hey, what's up, black friend? Like, every time they see them. You know what I mean? Like, hey, uh, you know, amigo negro. Like, they'll just do it constantly. Like, flaquito, gordito, whatever. Like, they just, however you look, that's they, they will just refer to you for that for the rest of your life. Here in America, you know, we try to be like, oh, we're going to look at the person as a whole. Man, fuck all that bullshit. Down there, your appearance is how you are defined. <laughs> Luke, you've got a friend in North Carolina at Nice Price Books and Records. So uh, I'm, I'm excited that you can start your collection, Luke, with this fantastic record. I promise I won't listen to it too much. I'll keep those grooves tight for you, Luke. I mean, It's going to be Luke. fun explaining to my wife why you recommended Latin Booty Party Jams as a thing that I would oh, enjoy. I bet you she'd love that record, Luke, okay? Right. If you know what she she if you ever, yeah, I'm gonna play you some next time I see you. You ever heard merengue hip hop? No. It's different. Is this Party like jam. reggae tron or some shit, Luke? You mean reggaeton? Reggaeton? No, it's different. Merengue, merengue is like the fast paced one. That's it's a really like high intensity one. Salsa is a little bit more medium paced. There you go. I poppy. Hey, that's our show for today. So here's what I want you to do. Um, Go probably bet on motherfucking DraftKings. Yeah, probably about time you put a little little cash down. We just told you who to pick and why. We told you why Robbie Lawler will keep the curse alive on Saturday. So why don't you download the DraftKings Sportsbook? Why don't you take a flyer on Brian Ortega right along with your boy BC and really see if that BDE is for real. If you put $1 down this weekend on any UFC 266 fight and you use our promo code, which is the most important part, it's combat with a K, the folks at DraftKings for new customers will give you $150 in bets. Guys, I mean, why not? Oh, oh you like Volkanovski because you watched his show from down under? Oh, you like Casper and Dennis and all those? Okay, why don't you put that 150 right on Volkanovski to win by decision because he's a points fighter, bro, okay? Why don't you do that? DraftKings got your back on that, okay? God yeah. damn it. Yeah, yeah. The rules apply if you're not in one of those states that does that. Why don't you play their daily fantasy games try to win $1 million, okay? DraftKings has your back. DKMK, we put it all in one cup. You know the next word. Thank you very much. All right, uh, Luke, our merch, it's flying. I hear from RJ Grundlemaker that, that this factory town bullshit is flying, Luke. So this is a new one that people will see in the next week. But for right now, for the next hour, in fact, you want... MK merch, why don't you get 10% off using our code FACTORYTOWN10. Tell them BC sent you, okay? Dress up in uh, my guy, my guy O'Teal Burbridge from, from Dead & Company, the fantastic bassist. Luke, he finally got his first merch in the mail. Can't wait to see him in that shit. You and I in the rainbow silhouette. Not not looking like a man-love pancake at all, Luke. All right? So hopefully uh, more of our people out there are getting outfitted in it. Uh, Luke, you got anything else to say? No, man. Uh, as you mentioned, though, the weekend coverage is not over. It started in Jersey, but it continues. You're going to be doing an instant reaction after Joshua fights Usyk, and then we're going to have a post-fight UFC 266 show as well. Keep it locked on Morning Combat. Spread it around. Guys, if you like that stuff with Chuck or the, or the Diaz resume review, yes. whatever it is that you like outside of the show, send that shit to other people. Let people know, because I got to tell you, the Showtime folks, BC, true or false? 
the Showtime folks took a look at some of the numbers on the Chuck video, took a look at some of the, the comments, and they said, you know, hey, is this something we should do as a franchise more regularly? They like that kind of thing. So if you want that kind of thing more there, you got to do your part to not just consume it. Tell a friend. That's all we're asking. Tell yeah, a friend. Yeah, I promise I'll drink less in the future, but they want to make this a, a franchise thing ahead of the big fight. So um, I think, Luke, that first one, the future's not going to look a lot like it. I think we found some things we liked, some things we didn't. And I think yep. we're going to make that a very special project moving forward. Because you know what, Luke? There ain't another show out there that'll give it to you like men do. That'll have real talk. Yeah. We don't just shoot in a bar. We, we vomit from yes. alcohol poisoning on your behalf. That's different. I mean, I lo- Luke, I love Ariel. You think he's throwing up after his shows? No. No. <laughs> Not at Not all. Not from okay. boozing. I can tell you that. All right. Uh, next next week is Doc Five, Oscar Willis, Ariel Hawani, a lot of co- a lot of famous guests dropping in the Jake Paul robot. So look for that. We'll have a teaser for you hopefully on Monday. Um, thank you guys. Thank you seriously. Luke and I hear the criticisms, we hear the love, we hear the hate, we hear it all. We do this show for you, okay? Also because they pay us a lot of money to do it. I mean, look, we're re- we're really robbing them at this point. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's great, right? You know, looks like I, you know, my wife's thinking about getting. You know, we should get a yacht. I'm like, man, that MK no. money is just so good. I got so. bills, bitch. I don't want to yeah. hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, shout out to our fine team producing the ones and twos in the background. You know, Manich, all them people, Sally, Gaff. Luke, you're a big fan of our new uh, our drug dealing cameraman, Mark. Too love that guy. Love that guy. Too. He, he definitely right. deals drugs. For yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good shit, right there. Al Wendling, big fan. All right, uh, that's it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk anymore. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll have you covered on the back end, like we normally do. But signing off for now. May all of your holes holes stay filled. It's uh, BC and LT, and we out.